Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Well, It's funny, isn't it? Some people you know a lot about, they have high profile, and you almost kind of know their story before you hear their mm. story. But speaking to Jeff, he's, he's somebody who has kind of, I think you were saying kind of was like slipped below the radar. Yeah, but I think he's, he should be called Jeff under the radar. But what tremendous success oh. and so <laughs> modest. I tell you what, uh, in, in a world of um, instant gratification, I'm going to sound a bit like an old bloke here, but in a world of instant gratification, um, uh, YouTube, Instagram influencer, blah, blah, blah. If you ever wanted almost to say, um, just try hard work and mm. overcome some of the adversities that you've been presented with, listen to Jeff's story. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think it shows that for people who feel that you need to put ticks in those boxes, you don't need to mm. because he's had tremendous success. And hearing his, his tough start and his upbringing and what his primary driver was to be a dentist, it's a fascinating story mm. and, and and i think what's, what's interesting that you know the thing that influenced him as a child on on the dentistry mm. bit uh, you'll have to listen to find out what that was um affects the way that he runs his practices mm. now mm. but also a real visionary his views on cryptocurrency yeah, where yeah. that could interesting be in, that in the future well, yeah. but i was also it was, it was very nice of him to say how valuable he finds the podcast and yeah. how he says about you know there's lots of courses but this really strikes to the core the business of dentistry and we know a lot of people listen to it and if people can subscribe that's great it will mm. get to a wider audience or if they can share it with other people because genuinely we do this because the more people that can learn from others the better and we just think about it two blokes chatting to some really interesting people we're lucky guys yeah it's brilliant so here we are again again for another one yeah and they keep coming in they this, do they this do week, uh very excited talking to dr jeff shearer uh, the owner of the dental design studio group of 19 dental practices across 19 the UK. 19 um big up to jeff absolutely but also somebody who's written lots of articles um, interested in the business of dentistry, has views on the metaverse, yeah, the yeah. crypto pioneer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So there's lots of leading edge thinking going on that we can dig into. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. So welcome, Jeff. How are you doing? Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Thank you very much. Morning, morning, morning. Nice to see you guys. Yeah, Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of it. And I think what you guys are doing is really good. I definitely need more of these sorts of things happening in the dental space. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank, thank you, you for much. that. Yeah, yeah I mean, we enjoy it. I think that's the that's the most important thing. We have a bit of a laugh. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those ones that for us, you know, we, we look to find guests who we, we know are interesting and have a great story to mm. tell. Um, and if other people tune in and enjoy that, then that's absolutely fabulous. Um, and yeah, we, we get we get people listen to it. We get good, good feedback. So it's obviously working. And I think people are, are genuinely interested in people and their stories, mm. um, but also through 
each and every episode, there's always some nuggets. Mm. There's always little nuggets where people take it and go, ah, so that's how Jeff did it. Or that was a turning point for Jeff or whatever it might be. So, yeah, just hearing your story today will be will be fabulous. It's great for us, isn't it? We get to, you know, we get to interview people that we really like, that are really interesting. We've been, you know, we're sitting here learning about people. It's just like having a chat with someone. It's great. You know, Mm. it's almost like best job in the world, really, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so no, we're very fortunate. We appreciate your time today as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, so no worries, no worries. We, 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 we've never met, but I'm very familiar with you and we're familiar with you and your work and you're obviously quite um, you know, frequent contributor online. Uh, I, I enjoy your tweets. Um, some of them make me laugh an, an awful <laughs> lot. Um, and you're not shy in terms of putting yourself forward in front of the media as well, which is great because... It means that they're interested in what you've got to say. You have quite strong opinions, particularly on the NHS side of things. So it'd be nice to get to get your views on that. But before we get into that, um, as I understand, you qualified as a dentist back in 2000 um, up in Leeds. Um, but you're not a, a native right. Yorkshireman. You were originally from the US. Is that right? That's it. So I was born in Chicago and um, grew up there. I came to UK when I was 12 years old. Uh, my my family we emigrated. My mum's actually from from England, and my dad was from America. Um, and uh, yeah, it was actually it was actually a pretty tough childhood in some of the ways because uh, my dad worked uh, abroad for a few years, so I didn't have like a, a sort of like father figure all that all the time. Mm. And uh, in terms of uh, on that same theme, uh, there was we also had unemployment in the house at times, and I saw that firsthand as a kid growing up, where there was like arguments between my mum and dad about how the bills were going to get paid and that side of things. And um, in a way, I suppose that was probably one of the things that prompted me to get into to dentistry. It wasn't so much that I knew that I wanted to do dentistry, but I just realized I wanted to do something where I wouldn't be unemployed in and uh, and have mm. a situation where I could provide my uh, family in. So what actually happened was um, when I was at school, um, we had something called Course Finder 2000. Uh, and it was called Course Finder 2000 because at that time, the year 2000 was this like mega event that was coming. Oh, which like is how, this how mythical day when the world was going to end. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Exactly. Um, I, think, I think for people that were basically too, that, I was going to say, I think for people that are too young for it, it was called the Millennium Bug, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, where yeah. all processes right, and everything, right. and the computer chip was going to reset to zero and the world was going to crumble. That's it. Again, the dark ages. That's it. So, so I did Course Finder 2000, which basically asked me a million questions about, like, do you prefer working outside? Do you prefer working inside? What do you, do you, do you like? Do you like using. Uh, tools, do that, all sorts of different things, and then it brought up a list of different uh, careers and courses that you could do, and mm. one of them was dentistry. And was that I'd in the UK, Jeff? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, all so right. I did my my GCSE Can I just wind back here? to to the immigration from the US to the UK? So, so what sure. was that facilitated? Was that because of uh, economy, jobs for your dad, or something like that? Yeah, basically, um, it was two things, really. One was my uh, my dad got a job in the UK, 
um, and my mum was from English, England, so she was kind of homesick anyway. So it was kind of right. those two things. Funnily enough, actually, my dad's work, my dad's line of work was computers, but it was before computers were sort of like what they are now and, and right. sexy and uh, all uh, mm. singing, dancing. It was like basically before Steve Jobs even <laughs> made the first Apple computer. So nobody really right. knew much about computers in, the, in those days. So so it was quite hard for him sort of getting involved in, in, in that. Mm. And that's what basically what prompted us to come to the to the UK. Um, I just think it's a fascinating you, parallel. Mm. You know, it's a fascinating parallel that a, a, a number of our guests have emigrated from India, Iraq, mm. Iran to Denmark to Sweden, you know, coming over to the UK. And, and somehow you don't think emigration from the US to the UK but but you're you're yeah. you, you came over yeah. it's it's a real interesting sort of like dynamic isn't it you sort of think why would you go from the US to the UK and emigrate but it's it's an interesting one when when uh, it's almost something you don't imagine happening yeah. that's fascinating sure it was really funny because um the UK was like really in some ways quite behind the US so like just a couple of things that were in, that I found was strange is like all the TV programs were like six months behind the episodes that I was watching in America. And uh, when you went to the petrol station, they had they had leaded petrol. And that was something that we hadn't seen in America for like never. And so the UK was quite uh, different. And I, I remember one of my first memories of coming to the UK is uh we went to a restaurant and I ordered a, a lemonade and I was expecting it to be um, one of those like old fashioned sort of like lemonades with the lemon in it and sort of yeah, like cloudy or whatever. Yeah. Used to make it. yeah, that's it. And then when it came, it was this like clear fizzy sort of like seven up style drink. And I was just like, oh, this country is real bad. And it's like, <laughs> I want to go home. Um, but uh, I, I obviously we stuck with it and uh gradually sort of uh, got got involved in education, going to school, got settled, and then we found somewhere to live and, uh, and then went on that journey, really. What was it like, Jeff, coming over as a 12-year-old? Because you'd be sort of into that would be – would that be about a year – year seven or eight or something so you you probably ended up on coming in where some people had already formed friendship groups so you sort of end up parachuting in from the u.s with a funny accent and different views on things what was that like sort of for you yeah it was really hard actually um firstly i wasn't very good at school um, I struggled all the way through school. I was always in the bottom set for maths, for English. Um, I think I think I was dyslexic, but in those days, nobody ever knew what mm. dyslexia was. It wasn't something that was like tested for. So I struggled with my writing, and a lot of the kids in the UK had learned French for a bit. You know, they had been studying French. I hadn't learned a word of French, so it was really hard for me. And uh, I found that. Um, I always I felt sort of up against it from the get go, and and in mm. a way I suppose that kind of also um, sort of helped to shape my my mentality and lead on to things because the reality is I was I was a step behind everybody else, and the only mm. way to sort of get there was uh, I didn't have the sort of any greater intelligence or smarter than anybody else, but the only things I could do to sort of bring myself level 
was to to sort of apply myself and work hard to try and catch up and get myself to, to the level. And, mm. and the truth is that I always found academic um, and education side of things really difficult. Even when I was at university, there was people who were at university with me, absolute geniuses. They would like get sort of like, they were constantly getting distinctions. And and I was like, if I got 50% in the past, that for me was like getting 100%. <laughs> I was just pleased to move on to the next year. Um, my first year of dental school, I, I struggled. I had to do a couple of resets. I spent the whole summer resetting anatomy and bio and uh, physiology, a couple of separate subjects that I failed in first year exams. And all my friends were going to Ibiza, having great summers. And I was sitting there in the in the family living room, looking at pictures of skulls and learning the cranial nerves. And wow. it was real. It was really like uh, it was tough for me, definitely like that. But mm. one thing I had, and one thing that I that sort of stayed with me is that I had it. I had a sense of I wanted to make it. I had a sense of determination. I really, really wanted to to do it. And and teachers at school were saying, no, dentistry is not for you. You're not going to make it. Um, oh, really? You consider doing something else. And they said it to me, like straight up said it to me that, 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 you know, we don't think you can do it. And that for me was like, in a way, probably the best thing that could happen because that really put the fire in me. Proof and it well. made me think like, I'm going to, I'm going to really do this. And mm. throughout my, my studies and throughout my career, I would say the two things that I've had is one is um, determination and the other is just plain old fashioned hard work. And what I found is that if you're really determined to do something and you're prepared to put in the hard work behind it, you'll get to whatever your goals is, whatever it is, whether it's qualifying as a dentist or running the marathon or whatever you, whatever your challenges are. And, and that's something that I always backed myself. I always believed in myself, even mm. though I struggled, I saw it really as a, as a, as a challenge. And that was the motivation to, to, to move forward. And Jeff, there's would been you lots, say of, that, lots of times. Yeah, would, 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 sorry, I just think of, based on you saying that, for where we are in, in sort of 2022 now, would you say what, what you just described is becoming quite a, an old-fashioned, almost outdated attitude of, you know, work hard, take your time, you know, really master what you're doing, and it will take time, it won't be overnight, because there's a feeling that, there's kind of this this desire, this urgency for overnight success. Mm. Yeah, everybody wants to kind of, you know, get to where they want to be tomorrow instead of next year or over a 10-year period. Whereas you've shown that you kind of needing that resilience and that hard work, it doesn't happen immediately. And we're going to come on to your practices and the success you've had there in, in, in a minute. But it just feels that I think people could take a lot from that, which mm. is you do have to work hard things don't happen and just fall in your lap because there are lots of people and like I, say, I, I think that the way the media works these days doesn't particularly help where it appears that you kind of have like become an Instagram that, influencer. Yeah, success seems to happen overnight and people don't always speak so openly as you just have about the hard work that's needed to get to the level that you're at. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I would do, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, Truth be told, obviously, we'd, we'd all like to get from A to B as quickly and successfully as, as we can. Mm. But the reality is that to, 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 to achieve anything in life, my feeling is you do have to put in effort. There isn't a lot of things that come easy. There are people that, that 
have good fortune, you know, they win the lottery or something happens, there's some kind of uh, turn of events that means that they achieve their level of success very quickly. But I would say for the majority of people, it comes down to just sort of focusing, grafting, uh, doing your best. And, and in a way, for me, that I think is part of the enjoyment of it as well, is the journey of it. If I had done all the things I had done really easily and had to have to work for it, what would be the satisfaction in that? I don't think mm, there would yeah. be. And and a lot of times when you when you reminisce and you think about the challenges that you had to overcome, that's where that sort of uh, sense of satisfaction comes from. Mm. Certainly more so than like where maybe I've done a dental treatment and made a nice profit on that dental treatment. Okay, that's nice. But the reality is that's not really what you remember. What you remember is mm. the, 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 the sort of like, the bridges that you've had to get over in mm. order to to get to that position like mm. that. I you, think you're right. I, I think you're right. We 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 always say sometimes a little knockback is not a bad thing. Uh, we remember when we first bought Frank Taylor's, which where we are now is nearly 22 years ago, mm. and we everything we touched turned to gold until one thing turned to shit. Do you remember we <laughs> we launched one thing and it just didn't work. It it didn't cost us a huge amount of money. It didn't make us bankrupt, but it was lesson. it was a really good lesson. The fact of just because Andy and I thought it was a great idea, it doesn't necessarily mean it is going to be a great idea. And and it was it was yeah, good sorry. because we we had it within the first three years i think of of mm. owning the business and up until then everything we'd done had worked we did this one thing and it just didn't work but often i bombed. think those those real deep life lessons come from failure i think if things just keep going well sure. you don't learn anything like as much as you do if something goes wrong mm. um and and from that we still talk about that now and this is something that happened nearly 20 years ago but we still refer back to it because sure. it was such a such yeah, a valuable yeah. lesson. Before we move on to the practice side of things, Jeff, just going back to this this Course Finder 2000 program mm. that you went through when you were at school. Out of interest, what, what else did that throw up alongside dentistry? What were the other career options that it suggested your way? Um, so basically, it took the A-levels that you were doing at the time and it used that because it assumed that obviously you were doing those A-levels yeah. because you, you that was something you enjoyed and you liked. So one of my one of my A levels was theology because I was quite interested in that at the time, and uh, so it 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 had a real range of different things. So it had things like aeronautical engineering, uh, biochemistry, marine bi- biology, and wow. uh, church so garden maintenance, all sorts of different. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, with yeah, a theology absolutely. degree, we could be talking and, to the Reverend Jeff Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> So of the choices, so the choices that were presented to you, is, is is there any family history in dentistry? What was the what was the reason that that sort of piqued your interest? Um, so there wasn't nobody in my family has uh, any sort of medical uh, uh, background like that. Um, I think what it was is I think from my own experience of childhood again of of the dentist. Funnily enough, when I was growing up as a kid, I had really really. Uh, uh, my teeth were a real mess that my front teeth stuck out massively and kids used to call me bugs bunny um because my teeth were so uh proclined um and that and then i saw a dentist who actually took the time i was really scared of the dentist as well i used to run out of the dental surgery this is absolute honest truth 
Um, my my mum used to take me to the orthodontist and they'd say, right, you're going to have to wear this and we're going to have to do some extractions. And I ran out of, I would run out of the dental practice and my mum would be left there apologizing, saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And she'd have to come find me in the car park. Um, and eventually, uh, <laughs> eventually uh, we found a dentist who, who took the time and care with me and explained it. And he did the orthodontic treatment. And I saw the difference that that made to my sort of like physical appearance and to my confidence. Wow. And I thought, wow, isn't that an amazing thing to be able to help people and do that? And that that resonated with me uh, really strongly. And that was probably one of the main reasons why I wanted to do dentistry like that because of my own personal experiences of the dentist. That's amazing, isn't it? Because that's, that's probably then is at the core of your 19 practices. You know that that yeah. that the fact of that you can change people's lives mm. has sort of spread into what you've done. Huh? It's fascinating, yeah. you know, from your own personal experience. That's yeah. where you where you've got that and want to give that to other people. So, so Jeff, how how long sure. were you how how long were you an associate before you decided to to dabble on the on the business side of things? Yeah, so not very long, really. So I did my, um, it was called VT in those days. I think now it's the uh, foundation year. So I did my foundation year, and then I did one year as an associate, and then I set up my own practice. And the very first practice I set up um, was a squat practice. Um, Luckily enough, I I set it up with another dentist, uh, Larry, who who was quite an experienced dentist, and we set it up together. And that was like, my view at the time was just like, um, let's go for it. Because if it goes wrong, I can always go back to being an associate. Um, And it was quite interesting because the very first practice was a SWAT practice. So we didn't have any patients. We bought an old building that was like a sort of disused doctor surgery. And there was other dental practices in the area. And I remember our accountant came to visit us and he had to look around and he goes, why are you doing this? He goes, you know, you basically, <laughs> he was like, you guys are going to be bankrupt in like six months um, because of the fact that there's other dentists and you're in a pretty affluent area. People who are here already have dentists and doctors and lawyers. They don't need you here. And you're setting up like a five surgery practice in the middle of, of a place that's already well like serviced by dentists. And where was that and, one, Jeff? Um, that was in Northwood. That was in Middlesex. That was our first. Oh, first. Wow, Funny okay, enough, yeah. as, a, as a side thing, that actually was my former doctor's surgery when I was a kid. And the doctors wow. moved oh, out wow. and it just sat just sat there like abandoned for quite a few years. Oh, I, I have this thing, Jeff, and, I, I think naivety in business is really powerful. I think that quite often people <laughs> that do things that in retrospect look outrageous um, is often born out of, of naivety. And it, it sounds for lots of people listening <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah. someone who's just done their, their, you know, VT foundation year, one year in as associate to set up a squat dental practice. That's a ballsy move. And, and it may well be that that kind of that bit of naivety gave you that confidence to, mm. to go ahead and, and do that. Because, and well, I was going to say, we, we, we still speak to a lot of people today who, who like aspire. the idea of setting up a squat. But, it, it, it's a very, very hard thing to do. And I think having a mentor, a more experienced mm. partner with you would have without doubt helped, but it is still a hard thing to do. What what year was that, Jeff? When did you do that? Um, so that was in 2004. That was the wow. first, the very first. Uh, 
Okay, so that was before the NHS contract came in then. I was so, thinking Jeff obviously deferred yeah, the uh, deferred the Porsche purchase of most <laughs> uh, most one year uh, VTs. <laughs> oh, I've got money. Let me buy an expensive car. What happened was um, I I was doing while the building works were going on. Uh, I was doing like I had my I was running my own domiciliary service. So I had a contract from the NHS for doing domiciliary work, and I was doing that, and that was basically oh, wow. like helping me to like make ends meet while we were waiting for the practice to open because it took quite a long time to do all the building works I mean, and that's, everything. Uh, what a great uh, story. Oh, yeah. Anyone I, listening, this is what you have to do. But, <laughs> Hard but, graph, but, roll up your yeah. sleeves, seek every opportunity. But but also, Jeff, going back to that beginning when you said about your your father and not always having work and listening to your parents kind of, you know, talk about how the bills are going to get paid. Was that always in the back of your mind when you were thinking about how you're going to secure your future in terms of transitioning yourself from being an associate to a business owner? Was that was that something that was kind of always there in the background? I think that's right. I mean, certainly from my perspective, I didn't feel like I I felt like because I was quite, I was still very young in dentistry, I I could afford to take a risk because mm-hmm. if it didn't work out, I could always get a job working as I was as an associate so I knew there was like that as a fallback plan if things didn't go right but obviously when you start a new venture when you start a squat practice you really don't know what the future holds and I Mm. didn't know whether it would be successful or not the one thing I knew is that it it wasn't going to not be successful because of a lack of hard work that's for 100% Mm. sure and that's one of the things that I completely uh, dedicated myself to that so I saw patients at like seven o'clock on a Saturday morning, uh, open till eight o'clock at night, opening on a Saturday. Nobody local was open on a Saturday. So I worked Saturdays because that gave people, that was an opportunity to bring in new patients. And um, yeah, basically I, I knew that with hard work, there was no reason why it couldn't uh, succeed. And, and thankfully it did, uh, it did succeed. And that kind of springboarded the opportunity for other practices to come from there. But had that practice for five years before I moved on to having another practice. So in that respect, it was like, that was really where I learned about running a practice, bringing a principle, what works, what didn't work, how to look after patients. And and in terms of dentistry, I was still learning my trade myself because Mm -hmm. I was only a few years out of university. And so I was still getting to, to become a better clinician um, I did some courses. I did a sedation course. Started offering sedation to people, which was something that didn't that a lot of people didn't offer, and that brought patients. And mm-hmm. one of the things that um, we did with the first practice, although now it's a bit more common, but at the time, the mentality was to set up like a sort of um, a one size fits all clinic. And what I mean by that was like we brought in a periodontist we brought in an orthodontist we brought in an endodontist so we had a general dental practice but we had specialists working there as well so if i saw a patient who who needed a root canal they could go over and see the endodontist or if they needed if they wanted to have their teeth straight and they could mm. go and see the mm. orthodontist I mean, back, back in those days i was gonna out. say back in those days it was way more common for mm. them to be referred out as opposed to have those specialists exactly. in house yeah. exactly so now you sort of see that more frequently, mm. but at mm. the time, uh, people would have to be referred out for those things. And I just thought, why, why are we doing that? Because at the end of the day, we're sending patients 
to other practices where they don't really want to go because they don't know that practice. We're putting the the revenue in other people's uh, mm-hmm. pockets. Why not have have it in our own practice? And then patients mm-hmm. can feel confident that they're here. Mm-hmm. And patients loved it because what would happen is patients would come in, they'd go in to see the endodontist. I'd pop in and see, is everything all right? Yeah, you're going to see the endodontist now. And patients felt comfortable because they were in mm. an environment that they were already mm. comfortable with. Great continuity. And from my perspective, oh, yeah. I, loved, yeah. I, I loved it because all the things I was rubbish at in dentistry, like root canals and perio, <laughs> um, there was people who could do it uh, much better than me. And, but, but, uh, but Jeff, that, as well, that, I think, I think you're being very well. modest as well because you said, oh, you know, I just work hard. It's too hard work. And we, we, we obviously see lots of practice owners and dentists and hard work might get you two, possibly mm. three practices. But you're obviously a savvy business guy as well because you didn't get two or three. You didn't get 10. You know, you've now got 19 practices in your group, which is, is significant. So what's the... What's kind of the magic source? What were those stepping stones from and, having that one practice for the first five years to, to go from and, there? And before you answer that, so out of the ones that you've got, were was the first a squat and then every other an acquisition or sort of is it like a mixture of squat and acquisition in there? Sure. So, I mean, it is really a mixture of things. I mean, some of the practices we bought, um, some of the practices uh, won some competitive procurements. So we had the practice, but they were quite like modest practices and then won a competitive procurement. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, without going off too much of a, t- a tangent, competitive procurement is actually something that um, has been like a, a love-hate relationship of mine because... <laughs> um, I've been fortunate enough to win a few competitive procurements, but I've also lost a lot as well. And I remember one of our early practices, I think it was our lowest stock practice. It was like our, our fourth or fifth practice that we had. The opportunity came for um, for a lot of UDAs. Um, the con- uh, dental contract was with the Oasis, if you remember those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and the contract went out to procurement and I felt I had, I filled in all the application and it was like completely different to what we knew as dentists asking questions about sustainability and all sorts of like, uh, I can't even explain all the questions, but they were like questions that as a dentist, you would never ever even think about. And uh, luckily enough, we we won that contract. And, um, but that was like the 10th procurement I had done. So I'd sat at home many, many hours literally hundreds and hundreds of hours filling in procurements late at night early in the morning missing family functions not going to social things because i was working at a procurement and then suddenly you get the email saying sorry you've been unsuccessful and it was like it was really that was like really really tough and i i remember like the first few i was so upset about it i couldn't even read the feedback and and i just thought you know what somebody's done better than me and that's you know good luck to them but i'm obviously not there and i kept working at it and proving and, and i started reading the feedback and eventually on our 10th procure my 10th procurement the 10th one i submitted we we won the procurement and it was a it was a good one it was a big one um and that was really satisfying so some of so to answer your question some of the practices have been practices that we bought and some of the practices we bought and we've added to it by winning competitive procurements. Right. Well, but all the practices so. that, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was real tough there because, like, the first one I did, I it must I must have spent like a hundred hours doing it. Wow! And I was it's, still it's working at the time, oh, so I was. Doing, mm. No, I was, I was still working at the time, so I was doing it in like every spare moment, sitting in front of my and and competing with some like good people. You know, some of these mm. corporates and things have people whose jobs it is just to do procurement, and I really mm. was out of my depth, but I stuck with it. And again, it's just down to like determination and and hard work, just like I said. And, and, and doing it and I, having I, the confidence. Mm. We, we we have this thing. We say when we used to work in a bank or when I one of my banks I worked with years ago, there was this whole thing, uh, for want of better choice of words, it was about getting you to transfer your account from another bank to our bank. And basically you had a one in 10 hit rate. That's what the average was. But the answer, what they were saying, but it doesn't quite come in one in 10. They were saying, so you could ask 90 people and no one says yes. And then the next 10 all say yes. <laughs> and you have to keep doing it. It's exactly the same with you. You know, you could have stopped at number nine because mm. you were really, really fed up with the right. whole thing and you'd have never have got number 10. Yeah, yeah. But you just showed that resilience that's to right. keep going and refining and trying. It's brilliant. That's it. And I think that's like a lesson for that's like a lesson for anyone, for any business is you, you just got to keep going there and, and believe in yourself, believe that that it, that you'll get there. Mm. Mm. That's brilliant. What, what, what management structure do you have in place, Jeff? Because managing and running 19 practices is, is significant and that's going to test all your energy, all your own resources. So how do you actually manage it? Are, are you still clinical at all yourself or, or did you pack that up some time ago? Sure. So I probably do like one day a month and really right. I do that just because uh, I've got a few long-standing patients that I just couldn't give up. And sure. um, also I think it's good from the point of view of running the group to show dentists mm. that, you know, you're not just talking about it, but, you know, I'm walking the walk. I'm talking Gives the Gives you talk, credibility and, and authority, I think. Yeah. yeah. That, that That's it for sure. Um, in terms of, of, of management, you know, thankfully I work with some absolutely incredible people in the in, in the dental space. Um, big shout out to Michaela and Gary and Jane and Larry and, and the whole of the, the, the team really. But we've got incredible people that work with us. And honestly, I'm blessed to have those people as part of the team. But even amongst that, we've got some great practice managers at practice level as well. So basically the way our sort of structure works is we have our sort of like head office group of people and effectively they are the ones that sort of like um, make the decisions about the, the trajectory of our group. And then the practice managers at practice level like implement, implement those. Um, in terms of how we are, I mean, obviously it's getting bigger. It's becoming the dental design studio is becoming a bigger entity. So mm. it does get more difficult for sure. I mean, for me, I'm always on it. You know, I'm up at four in the morning and I'm in bed at like midnight. So I like literally am on it 24 seven. Thankfully, I've got a very, very wonderful supportive wife who just lets me get on with what I need to get mm. on with. But I've also got a re an amazing relationship with, our team you know like all the dentists have got my personal number you know they they ring me they text me not just about dental things sometimes they have marriage problems sometimes financial problems sometimes gdc problems and the reality is i'm always there for everyone irrespective of of what happens whether it's a dental nurse a cleaner a receptionist whatever if somebody needs me 
I'll, I'll always make time to, to, to speak to them and, and deal with them. And, and in that respect, I suppose that's what's kept people loyal to our group and kept our workforce and, and, and kept us uh, going. It is challenging, of course, and um, there are times when it can be quite disheartening. You know, if you have a, a good associate who leaves or a manager who's good who leaves, you know, you you take you can't help but take it a little bit personally because, mm. in a way, it's like a breakup, isn't it? And um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you you have to accept that in business, in, in when you're dealing with like hundreds of people, there are going to yeah, be people it. that come that's and life. go, and that's just the nature of it. There and uh, you know, when I when I look back, you know, we've always we've always had people working for us, and so where one person leaves another person comes and sometimes sometimes you you don't want to let someone go or you're sad that someone goes because you think that that you won't find better but sometimes you do find better and sometimes somebody new joining the organization is actually a really good thing because they bring in a new energy and a new sort of uh, eyes on things i mean recently we had a uh, we've had a chief financial officer who joined us uh, a couple of weeks ago um, never had one never really thought I needed one to be truthful. And uh, she's just come in with like a pair of eyes like you wouldn't believe. And she's like, every day she's sending me like a a list of like two pages of A4 questions for me to answer. But it's just like, it's, it's, it's incredible to see like other people's energy and vision and their drive and determination. And, and that's that it's just great working with people who are like similar mindset mm-hmm. and, and that's something that in a way keeps me working hard uh larry who's my 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 partner in the business he's a dentist the co-owner of dental design studio he's like probably one of the hardest working people in dentistry nobody really like hears about him because he just quietly gets on with things but you know he's he's in his 60s and he's still pushing it and he's still tr- working hard and he's here there and everywhere and when you work with people around you that are like really motivated and hardworking, mm-hmm. in a way it lifts your, your game. I suppose it's like if you play in a football team with really great players, it can't help but but lift your game. Mm-hmm. Elevate and you. that's how yeah. I kind of feel like, like mm-hmm. that. That's it. I can't slack off because I'm working with people who are, who who will be surpassing me if I do. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of keeps me honest and focused mm-hmm. as well. Jeff, what are you like at delegation? Because you obviously started this with with Larry from ground zero, and quite often people that are the founders, um, it's their baby. So stepping back and giving space for others isn't always easy. But you're of a size now where you know you said you recently just bought in a CFO because you get into that level. But for you to continue to have the success you're having, you obviously need to, and you probably have for a period of time now needed to delegate. How, how was that process? Are you comfortable with delegation? Are you good at it? Sure. So you know what? That I'm not. I'm not brilliant at it. I've got to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it's something that I've had to, to learn, and I'm learning. And the dental design studio is now getting to the stage where it is of a size where it's I can't do everything myself. Um, mm. And I'll, as much as I try to do as much as I can, I can't do everything. And really, the that isn't isn't a problem. The that is just really in my own mindset, just getting my head around the fact that you have to let go and you have to trust people to do things and you have to um, focus on the things that realistically only I can do. 
And so in that respect, it is, it is difficult and it, and it is hard to let go of certain things because your worry, of course, is always when you delegate something that the person you delegate it to maybe won't do it as well as you or with as much energy and enthusiasm mm. um, and as intensely as you. And it is hard to do that. But at the end of the day, it, you have to do it because the reality is otherwise you just completely consumed and you'll, you'll never be able to move forward because you're, you're so busy focusing on just the, the minutiae of things really like that. It's not to belittle those jobs in any way, shape or form. But as like the clinical director or CEO or business owner, you have to focus on only the things that, that you can do. There's a lot of people that can order stock. There's a lot of people that can make rotors. There's a lot of people that can deal with payroll. The, the reality is the decisions about buying a practice or investing into another surgery, those are things that probably are only a few people can focus on mm. and make those decisions. And that's what you have to do, but it is hard. And, you know, that is one area that I did find difficult because I suppose I'm, I must be a bit of a control freak in my own self. And it's not because I'm egotistical or anything like that, but it's just that when you've started something, so from nothing in a way, like having a baby, you know, when you've started it and you've nurtured something, you're so in a way desperate not for it to go wrong and you want it to be thriving and looking after it the same way yeah. as it has done and to let to let it go to someone else is 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 difficult it's exactly mm. like having a baby if you have a baby and you love that baby and you've nurtured that baby and then you hand it over to the nursery and say okay here you go you are like basically you know you are handing over in a way you're one of your most precious things to somebody else's care and mm -hmm. that that takes a psychologically it takes a lot to to, to do that yeah. but in order yeah. to progress you have to do that i can relate to that can't we we can relate to that we've 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 bought businesses and we've started businesses and, and i think you're right i think the ones you start you probably do feel slightly different about than the ones you buy because you inherit something that's already established and you might morph it over a period of time into a shape that mm. suits you but it is different from those ones that you you start and it's a skill that is developed and acquired over mm. a period of time we identified didn't we sort of not not early on because the business we only had one <laughs> but but as it as they all grew we realized that we actually were becoming the bottleneck yeah. because the answer is we only have a finite amount of time and we're we're lucky because there's two of us <laughs> there's one of you sure. <laughs> so yeah. so you, you you get to that point way quicker than we do and and we just realized that ultimately we're gonna have to sort of relax a, a bit and recruit the right people because otherwise we're just going to be restricted in our yeah. growth weren't i we? think through, you were through spot through on Jeff, when you said you know where do i add value what are the things that I need to do in the business and what things can I delegate? Because we only have so many minutes and hours. Yeah, done. yeah, that's right. And if you can focus on those few big decisions that are really going to springboard your business forward, that's where you add value. You know, I think it was Jeff Bezos, that they were talking to Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy, and they were saying, you must make thousands of decisions every day. How do you cope with it? And he was like, I've got a lot of people working with me. I focus and prioritize trying to make one good decision a day. If I can make one good decision that's going to have an impact and I can make that one decision a day, that's going to really springboard us forward. And mm. I think that's kind of almost captures the true art of delegation. You know, if you can create space so you can focus on the big decisions, the impact they have on your group, 
will be much more significant than mm. meddling in the, in the smaller decisions, which arguably other people are a much better place to, to make those decisions. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. Mm. So just to take it a twist, you obviously um, uh, quite enjoy getting um, in front of the camera on the media side of things because you recently got involved in the <laughs> ITV Tonight um, programme, um, putting teeth the end of NHS dentistry. H- how, did, how did that come about? Um, well, actually, it came out through uh, through social media. So right. um, anyone who sort of like follows me on Twitter knows I like to have a moan. Uh, and, <laughs> Don't um, we all? <laughs> the guy from ITV read my moans, and uh, he um, he sent me a, like a, a DM and just said, you know, we're looking at having this documentary about uh, dentistry, and um, so would you be interested in taking part? And to be honest with you, I was like, I was happy to chat with him, but I wasn't that keen to take part in the in it because, mm. firstly, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to come across in any kind of negative way. You know, the fact is, we're helping a lot of people at our practices, mm. and I didn't want it to be like, oh, the you know, the greedy dentist is not seeing NHS patients mm. or any of that sort of uh, mm. angle. And you never know what it could be. So that was yeah. like, firstly, my bit of my um, my concern. Um, but then I thought about it and I thought, well, actually, who better to, t- to say how it really is and what what we're all sort of experiencing in this in this industry than somebody who's like living and breathing it all the time. And so when I went and did the program, I was kind of like trying to do it as a sort of like not so much about me and the dental design studio, but more about like as an advocate for the for the profession, really like mm-hmm. that uh, there. Um, and so actually the program was supposed to be on TV, but it actually got uh, postponed because the day that it was supposed to air was when the Queen passed away, unfortunately. So um, so it's actually it got, it's been postponed for a bit. But uh, I think by the time this, people see this podcast, it will have been on the TV. So um, hopefully people will have seen that and, and enjoyed it. But um, one thing that being on TV made me realize was... Um, uh, definitely got to lose some weight and get in the gym and start getting a bit fitter because uh, watching yourself on TV is like it's like wow you can't hide from that. So uh, I think they so say don't they say the camera adds twenty pounds? Yeah, that's right. The camera like adds weight or yeah. something. Yeah. But but it was a really good experience and and seeing how like TV programs are made and the level of intricacy they go into and like. They can't just say like, oh, they can't just make a statement. They have to go and get everyone's opinions and research it and make sure that everything is factually correct. Because mm-hmm. like I was having a moan about how to get a dentist to come from overseas, you have to pay for like a skilled workers visa, which is about uh, £3,200. And so like he went, the guy who was the researcher went to the department of like um, the the. the to, to investigate that to see is that actually mm. correct is the home office charging that is this right and, and getting in getting a statement from them and mm. so they did research it uh really really well but unfortunately it's in a way it's it's sad that we have to have these kind of programs because really it's not a positive thing and i always try and be a positive person and it's it's um it's not nice to have programs about negative mm. things and and nobody wants to see patients who are like you know, pulling their own teeth out or mm. 
kids that can't get a dentist because there's no NHS accessibility and things like that. That's not really what as dentists we want to be sort of like mm. associated with. Mm. We want to be associated with people who help, people who cure disease, mm. people who improve people's health. And and that's what we are sort of uh, tra- trained to, to do, and that's what we want to do. So, but it was a good experience being on. on, on, on mm. It'll be interesting when yeah. it comes out. And I think I think the, the the angle you've taken is is smart because, like you say, um, it is a delicate line to walk. Mm. You know, there's there's a number of dentists who regularly appear uh, in the media, uh, and I think they're all incredibly sensitive about presenting the profession in the most positive light possible, but also sure. being very truthful and aware about the issues, particularly around you know, the delivery of NHS dentistry in certain areas. So it's it's a fine line to walk. So mm. uh, I'm sure you've done a great job. Sure. Sure. If you. not, you'll be abused on Twitter. <laughs> 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 That's right. yeah. in, That's in, right. in our intro, we also said something that you're, you're also interested in, in crypto and, and, and Bitcoin and you're sort of quite a pioneer. And I think Chris was saying that, that one of the things that you're, you're looking to, you either have introduced or you will be introducing is the ability for patients to pay with, with cryptocurrency. What's your kind of thoughts around what that whole new currency looks like? Will it feature in the, the mainstream of dentistry in the coming years? Absolutely, hundred percent, definitely. That's one thing I I say, um, you know, mark my words. I definitely, definitely think that we're going to see um, in time dental practices accepting cryptocurrencies as, as form of payment. Mm. Um, at the moment, not enough people understand it or know about it, but that certainly is 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 absolutely a future a future thing. I'm absolutely convinced about that. I mean, to give you an example. And I always find with these things, it's best to just give like practical real life examples. If I was if I was going to buy a practice, say, for example, I wanted to buy a practice from you guys and you were charging a million pounds for it. Okay, with cryptocurrency, I could send you a million pounds to your wallet, your, your crypto wallet within 30 seconds. And the cost would be about 20 pence. Okay. So you would have it there. I'm not going to demonstrate it by doing it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> that's a shame. I was just uh, thinking, oh, that's very nice of you, Jeff. Yeah, you would, yeah. <laughs> but um, you would have that in your in your wallet in 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 like less than a minute. There. Now you imagine the the the, the banking process for that. If I wanted to, mm. do, I'd have to firstly I'd have to prove to the bank where the money came from, anti laundering. I'd have to probably pay a horrendous fee to do the bank transfer, like thirty five. Mm or whatever like that or i'd have to do it in 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 certain increments because my bank only allows me to send yeah. a certain amount per time um and so so in a way that sort of like traditional banking is is a very very slow method and a, quite an expensive method as well whereas the ability to take cryptocurrency payments is a is an international thing you imagine somebody in australia they're coming to to london to have their teeth done they can send cryptocurrency and pay for it straight away. It's there. When you, have you ever tried to send money to a different country? It's a it's no, a real it's lengthy painful. process. I see mm. sometimes in, I sometimes mm. see people in the post office. You know, they're there showing their passport and they're doing MoneyGram mm. or all these sorts of things like that. So I I do see the the um, cryptocurrencies as definitely something that's going to become part of dental practices. Um, it, it eliminates the charges, bank charges. It eliminates um, uh, the sort of time waiting for money to clear. 
And the most beautiful part about it really is that it's very, very transparent. And what I mean by that is if going back to the analogy of sending you a million pounds, if I sent it to you, you can actually look on the block on the blockchain and see when I sent it. And I can see that you've received it as well. So it's transparent. It's there on the public ledger that that, has, that transaction has taken place. So, for example, if I say to you, okay, yeah, I'm going to send you some money from my normal Barclays bank account or whatever mm-hmm. bank I'm using, you, you, you don't know if I've sent it or not. You have to wait and see where, where, whether it comes or, or, or not. And you're relying on me saying that I've sent it. But if I don't send it for a few days, and I, then you don't really know whether I've sent it or not. On the blockchain, you can see the time I sent it. And I can see, more importantly, that you've received it as well. So you can't mm. come to me and say, listen, Jeff, where's we the money? It. Because I can see that that is that is there. And and that, in a way, is a complete uh, different shift to what we, we have at, at the moment. I know it's still early days, and I know that mm. there's probably a, there's a lot of ignorance yeah. about it, and people are a bit reluctant to accept these things because they don't truly understand it, or they may have read something in the in the newspaper that's kind of clouded their 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 sort of view of these things but the reality is mm-hmm. i do see this as being the future of of not only dentistry but a lot of different uh a lot of different sort of uh professions and different sort of uh like way of life really mm-hmm. i'll be interested to see how mm. that how that develops yeah, and, and evolves you've You've clearly had massive success, Jeff. It, it, you know, it's a tremendous story. Looking back over the success you've had, is there anything you'd go back and change if you could? Would you do anything differently if you did it again? Um, sure. I would probably would have... Um, it's a good question, really, like that there. I mean, for me, the job's not finished, so it's still a work in progress. So I, I can't say like, I never sit back and think, oh yeah, I've achieved whatever I've achieved. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a fait accompli. It's not, it's really a work in progress. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there's been times when maybe I've been too trusting of people and, um, or I've let, I've been a bit soft on people where especially like staff, <laughs> uh, I let them get away with things that maybe I shouldn't have done or, or, or so. Um, but at the end of the day, if I if I if I didn't do what I did, I wouldn't be where I am. And so all the things that I've done wrong, mm. and there's been plenty of things, I would I've learned from those experiences, and that's kind of helped me to um, to sort of to get where I am. I think probably in terms of things I would have changed is some of my clinical things. You know, like clinical mistakes that I've made that I've that I've learned from. But you know, uh, okay. no one's perfect, and and as you guys said before, you have to. You have to have a few stumbles along the way, and that's where you where yeah. you learn. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think just I would just try even harder. That's really I think what I would do if I look back and think maybe I should maybe I should have tried harder earlier, and then maybe I would have more practices. Who knows, really? But yeah, why wait a day, year to set um, up your first practice you know, in foundation <laughs> dentistry? Well, you could have yeah. done it straight away, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening to this Jeff, saying, "Wow, yeah, if no, I could have I, half I the success yeah, yeah. that Jeff had, I'd be a very happy person." People going, "A year? <laughs> what well, he did a year?" 
we 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 always sorry, we always sorry, finish up in the same way, Jeff. We always we always like to ask our guests the same two questions, just to kind of get a theme of, of what's in their heads. And the first question we always <laughs> like to ask: If you could okay. be the fly on the wall with somebody in a certain situation, when, when would that be, and who would you be with? Oh wow, that's a great question. Um, I suppose um, I would have. I think maybe to uh, Thomas Edison. I don't know if you if you know much about Thomas oh, Edison. Yeah, he was okay. the guy who invented yeah. the light bulb. Um, yeah. Great, great inventor, American um, figure. And I think that would that was like the real light bulb moment, the actual light bulb moment. And mm. to sort of see that somebody creating that would have would have been an amazing thing um and something that has then gone on to sort of like revolutionize the world and impact on every single like virtually every single human being's life in some way the light bulb mm-hmm. so i think that that to have seen that being invented and created would have been amazing that's a, that's a great one we take it for granted don't we but you're right up mm. until that point there wasn't a light bulb so to actually see you know light come come yeah, out yeah. in 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 that way because it's it, like now we just take it for granted light bulbs mm. everywhere everything's lit yeah we've got lighting that incorporates so much of our daily mm. lives but there was a time before edison where the light bulb didn't exist it just made me think i'm sorry jeff it just made me think suddenly of of exactly that of how yeah, that is so simple. Then I'm suddenly thinking, sitting where we're doing our podcast, I'm thinking, who invented doors? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, before you had a door, you had an entrance. I, I really Do hope. You know I, I, mean? I really hope it was somebody called Ronald Draft. <laughs> Barry <laughs> Door. <laughs> but you're you're dead right. It's a real interesting one. So I, I'd never really thought about it because no. you take it for granted. And I'm just looking at him going, but who thought? I tell you what, I'll put a bit of wood over that. That would be much better. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great answer to, jeff you know very, we have our good. own we have our own light bulb moments all the time and and in a way we bring yeah. the light bulb ourselves with our with our thoughts and our and our deeds really so yeah so. no very true Brilliant. very true super link there jeff well done man. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> absolutely and, and then the last very question genius. we ask is yeah it was, exactly. yeah. if you could if you could meet anyone <laughs> uh, given the opportunity who, who who would you like to meet um Question. There's so many people, really. Uh, I, I think going back to my theology days, I would probably say um, somebody from the Bible, uh, okay. probably like maybe maybe Noah. I think Noah would be a good person because uh, he was there building his, his ark and people were like probably scoffing at him saying, you know, why are you doing this? And he's there getting on with it, building his ark. Um, and then when it started raining, he's like, and that's why. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> I think uh, you know, <laughs> that's the thing, you know. So it's like sometimes I think um, it'd be good to speak to somebody who who was like people were mocking them or or didn't believe in them, and and mm. somebody who then carried on doing what they were doing, stood by the the courage of their convictions, and mm. in a way got the like the result there. And I think there's a lot of. Uh, that people that have that kind of mindset, I find very fascinating. Really, people where they have they're up against sort of um, opposition of whatever kind that is, whether it be financial or just public opinion mm. or, or 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 the elements, and, and yet they 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 succeed. And I think that mm. kind of mentality is 
So it's great. So I think from the going back to my my Bible studies, uh, Noah from the Bible would have been someone I would have liked to have had a chat to cool. just to see. Interesting. Like, well, that's your mentality, really, isn't were, it? Because yeah. I can imagine when you said you were setting up a squat, even though it was with Larry, a lot of people went, "You're mad." Mm. <laughs> But also, I think very often yeah. visionaries, yeah. visionaries see a future that nobody else can see, mm. and they're absolutely committed to what this thing can become. But that's challenging because when nobody else can see it, <laughs> you kind of you either sort of range <coughs> from from being an outlier to an outright mm. nutter because mm. you're you're so convinced about what this future looks like, but nobody else can see it. So mm. you're on this path, and over time, you you start to gather kind of support and mm. followers and people that help you. And when it turns into a reality, people often look and go, well, yeah, it's so obvious and it's so easy. But it wasn't when you were mm. one year qualified as an associate yeah, and you yeah. set up a squat dental practice and, you know, many years later, you've got a group in 19 practices. Mm. Yeah, I've kind of summarized your remarkable success in one sentence. <laughs> but at the beginning, it, it, it wasn't so obvious. It's only in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, McDonald's, you know, I'm going to make burgers that all look the same. Yeah. Ah, don't be ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. No, that's, Actually, that's, that's funny good. enough with McDonald's. I think of McDonald's a lot. I mean, I, firstly, I eat too many McDonald's, but secondly, um, <laughs> not after TV, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Uh, we're going past, and they always used to put up like 44 million customers served, and I always thought that was like incredible how many people's lives they 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 touched. And in a way, that's kind of how I feel with dentistry as well. That like. Mm. You know, we touch a lot of people's lives through what we do, and and you mm. guys as well. You know, like facilitating people to buy practices, sell practices, and and you know, collectively as a profession, we we touch and help a lot of people's lives, and that's mm -hmm. something that should be like we should be incredibly proud of. Yeah, no, absolutely, Jeff. You've got a terrific story. That's we, brilliant. We, we, really we appreciate good. your time to to thank to, you. To, yeah, to find the time to talk to us, given that you've got all these mm -hmm. plates that are, that are spinning. Uh, but I think it's a really good story to be told. Mm -hmm. I think people will take enormous amounts of it. Yeah, you're a very modest guy for the mm. success you've had. Um, you kind of tell this story in a very easygoing style, but there's there's real terrific success mm. that you've had, and, and like I say, I think there's a there's a whole lot more to come. You're still a young guy, yeah. yeah you've got a, a lot of years ahead of you, and I'm excited to see what they bring. You're almost a bit under the radar, Jeff, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know you've got publications, but it's sort of almost. I wonder how many people really know the story of of Jeff that you've you've allowed to, mm. to tell us today that you've been able to tell us today it's like it's fascinating really because people see you hear you and know this bit but I wonder how much they truly know about you a bit, a bit like us really you know we didn't know any of your backstory no. it's bloody fascinating it's really interesting no. no thank you guys for that's what I said like right at the beginning thank you guys for having your podcast and for doing it and giving people a opportunity to tell their story and hopefully inspire some others and and just sort of like cover things that that we don't really see in dentistry like that so much so thank uh, you so brilliant, much for Jeff. your time and for letting me run your podcast Perfect. Well, we appreciate your time. Look after yourself. Cheers, yeah, Jeff. Thanks very much, Cheers. Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. 